Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Atlantic State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host and producer. Joining me this week are two sports writers who have spent the past four days sleep banking, Detroit Free Press beat writer Chris Lowry and Lansing State Journal sports columnist Graham Couch. Well, I'm going to start with a listener question off the bat here because Nick Mantis from WLNS wants to know, which of you guys are wearing compression socks when traveling to Seattle this weekend? Is that a well, thing? Both of us are. Well, I'm sure. It'll keep the circulation going. Guys like us need them. We're we're up in advanced ages now once you get past 40. I mean, you know, at least to millennials, 40 is the new 93, I think. <laughs> Graham, how you doing? I'm good. I didn't know that was a thing. I mean, I have to, I you know, I have to purchase two seats because of my weight, so that's a whole different thing, but, you know. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I, I don't agree. You, oh, come on, Graham. You're not pulling a Kevin Smith out there. You don't have to buy yeah, it two seats for yourself have you seen kevin smith lately we should all be so lucky to lose that much weight yeah i'm, I'm trying i'm trying over here especially after graham graham called me out on twitter last week oh what did uh, i say i made the thing about after malik car made that catch last week i was like uh malik car is a beefy boy and then you took a shot at my weight i haven't forgotten. well i haven't forgotten Graham. Graham. i'm just saying you probably should be calling people beefy well, he is a beefy boy he's just a big he's a big dude what's wrong with that I mean, let's face. Listen, weight jokes are the the bottom feeder jokes of of yes, any good comedy. Any any one that tries to be funny. So it's the worst. Weight jokes are the worst. Well, let's uh, let's just get into uh, everything this week here. Uh, besides the talk about sleep banking and compression socks and uh, weird sleeping habits on your on your way to a, what is <laughs> essentially like a five-hour flight or whatever like i think gravy runner comes like two movies it's like i don't know how much we need to adjust uh, the sleep for that but uh you know it's sports and like like mel did say earlier this week uh, there are the there's some fine edges and fine lines between good and great and you have to you know, work in the margin. So maybe there's something to it. I guess we'll, I guess we will find out uh, late Saturday night. But uh, I do not want to start there. I actually kind of want to start with Michigan State's quarterback situation um, regarding Peyton Thorne. Uh, there was a, a lot of hype for him in the off season uh, from everybody, and a lot of it was was certainly warranted. Uh, he had a he had a lot of bright moments last year, leading a team to an 11-2 record and. Uh, a team that was, you know, in the college football playoff fight for a while. So, you know, there's expectations for being All-American, All-Big Ten, people getting mad when he's not ranked as high as he, they thought he should be on some things. And then now here we are two games into the season, and <laughs> now he's – I don't know if he's answering questions from the coaches, but he's certainly answering questions from fans about uh, maybe he doesn't look like he has taken that next step up that 
Uh, a lot of people expect him to take it. It feels like there's a little bit of Lewerke in there, too, in terms of a lot of people expected him to take that big step after that. Uh, his, was it 9-3? Yeah, because they flipped from 3 nine to 9 three. Yeah, his 9-3 and three season, and then he never took that step that a lot of people expected. And now here's Thorne two games in. Uh, he's hitting some deep balls, but he seems to be pretty inaccurate so far on the short to long range, or short to medium range throws. And I guess, you know, I want to turn it over to you guys and – just basically see, is, is the worrying warranted, or is it just two games and they're 2-0 and and they've scored a ton of points? Or is, is there a reason to think that Noah Kim might, might see the, some game action here against Washington? Uh, Graham, I want to start with you and get your two cents about, about all this. I mean, there's no question he's struggled, especially the intermediate stuff, some of the long-developing stuff. And, um, you know, and it's interesting to try to figure out how much of that is receiver connection-driven. Um, I think the number of those balls that have been to Keon Coleman over two games is noteworthy. A um, couple to Jeremy Bernard. Zero of his off-target passes to Jaden Reed last week. Uh, now he's had a couple of balls that weren't perfect. Jaden Reed had to go get one, including the one where he, he got um, he got dinged up there. But I there's something to that. Guys not being in the right places, necessarily young receivers, and so I don't know what's what, and it, it's hard to get a, a clear sense of uh, of that entirely. I thought he finished the game well, um, and and the final couple drives, especially his final drive. And so I don't think there's, you know, obviously this is something where if it lingers and he throws a couple picks every game and he's off target considerably and it starts to cost them then you have to have discussions. And I don't think Mel Tucker to this point looks like somebody who's all that sentimental about, you know, I mean, the, the best guy is going to play. Um, I also think if, you know, if somebody else was better in practice, teammates would know that everybody would know that. And that sort of thing would happen. Um, but yeah, no, I, I don't know yet that it's a, a huge point of, of concern. I think this week helps that it's one of those games where, you have to play to a certain level just to win. And if you do win, it really doesn't matter how you play because if you win, you play well enough. And uh, and I think they need one of those games a little bit where what's appreciated isn't the statistical line or the perfection, but the result. Yeah, I, there's no quarterback controversy, first of all. I, I mean, the thought that, that anyone thinks that they would put in Noah Kim um, at, at this point, particularly just two games into the season, is – is kind of misguided. I, I think to me, it's a little bit, you know, when you're, when you're working with uh, another new receiver in, in Coleman, it, it's kind of like in spring training when, when a pitcher will go through and work on his other stuff and in those games, because first of all, those games don't matter. It's a little different in college football. I mean, every record and every game matters, but you know, both of those games were fairly well in hand, even though it took until the fourth quarter with the Western game. Um, but I think he was he was purposely going to Keon Coleman uh, a little bit more and, and away from Jaden Reed because they got to develop that chemistry. And, you know, we haven't really seen many throws to Trey Mosley, um, who he has good chemistry with. So I, I think that's kind of part of it. I, I think part of it, you look at, at who he's throwing to, and he was trying to break in, couple new tight ends trying to break in Coleman trying to break in the backs out of the backfield and you know some of the things that he was doing with with Reed um you know obviously the the one deep shot that, that you mentioned where Reed got hurt 
Um, you know, that, that was maybe one of the few deep balls he's thrown to read. I mean, a lot of the stuff they've done is around the line of scrimmage through motion and, you know, uh, kind of getting them on swing passes. So that's a different element to their offense that you're trying to get in the, in the system and get in rhythm with. So I, I don't think you'd, you'd get too worried about some of those things. And even, even what he's got, four touchdowns and three interceptions, all three of those interceptions came under duress. Uh, the first one came, it was a bad decision to throw back across his body, but he had a guy in his face in the Western game. And in both of the other ones, one was a delayed blitz and one was a mispicked up blitz. So some of that is working with the offensive line in front of him. So, uh, you know, those are timing elements that I think iron out once you get through it into a game situation. Um, you know, I, I, if anything, I don't think the throws are as, as questionable as maybe a couple of decisions because even Thorne talked about, you know, I got to know when, I, when to take a sack in those two that he threw a, against Akron um, because the guy was right there and he tried to make a play uh, but didn't with someone in his face. So but I think that's part of it. I, I think those are all kind of come together, but there's no, there's no quarterback controversy at this point, regardless of what Noah Kim did against Akron, which was a team that, you know, if Noah Kim goes out there and start, they maybe win 41 to nothing. I agree with you, Chris. I don't think there's a quarter or a quarter quarterback country for sale, nor will there be at any point in the season. I, that doesn't feel like a bold take necessarily. I, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. I mean, there very well could be if this persists. Yeah. You know, if if there's not timing with the receiver. I mean, you think back to the 2013 season. Maxwell came in and had been throwing, you know, bullet after bullet after bullet off guys' hands and struggled and. You know, a guy that comes in and, and Connor Cook eventually developed some rhythm because he had been working with some of the guys who elevated their play from the number two receiver spot and became important factors along with the starter. So, you know, it can happen. It absolutely can happen, but I don't think it's anywhere close to happening at this point. And one of the things that, you know, if you go back to that, you know, almost a decade now, that Maxwell um, competition and, and how that all unfolded, with, with Connor Cook and really beginning in that Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl. You know, Cook was 4 for 11 in that game. But what you could tell was the offense just moved better with him. And I think sometimes the the, the thing that happens, you, you just see it. And, and I think we'll know it. Like if, if the offense stops moving with Peyton Thorne and, and he's missing opportunities on key downs, um, then that becomes a conversation he's turning the ball over or, or things like that. I think at this point, you know, people talk about the touchdown pass that Kim threw, which is a nice throw. But, I mean, Peyton Thorne did that against Penn State his sophomore year. I mean, Peyton Thorne did more his sophomore year than Noah Kim's done yet. Um, and so the idea that somehow that would propel uh, Kim a, 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 above him, again, we don't, we're, not, we're not seeing practice. We're not privy to those conversations. I just – I don't think that's – right now at all where where heads are uh, within that program. That's not my sense. And you know what else we haven't seen? Any design Peyton Thorne runs, and that's an integral part of his game and the offense last year. So that's something that gets him in a rhythm and gets him in a rhythm when he gets on the move as well and tries to make the run. No, I, I, I agree with you there, Chris. Like, I, I do not think Jay Johnson's done a great job of helping him get into a rhythm game uh, early in games. He, they haven't had a lot of quick rhythm-type throws. Um, they haven't done things that have, you know... Now, some of it's been on Peyton. Like, one of his lesser 
not great overthrows last week was a play where it, just with tunnel vision completely ignored a wide open receiver running across the middle closer to him for an easy first down and threw a you know difficult cross the field long out overshooting that's a play where it was there for him and and so there's there's options and and I think against Washington especially you have to take that but getting into quick things too where you know using those tight ends using you know players you, you trust in spaces the Trey Mosley's of the world assuming Jaden Reed's going to play uh, and getting him feeling good about himself the thing you know when I went back and watched again I, I actually thought Thorne played pretty well in the in the in his, in the final stages of his stint in the game and had a couple couple throws at the end that were terrific, including one where he was taking a hit. And um, so they just got to get him there earlier. And, and and I think, you know, it's not like he's just way off the mark consistently and it got worse and worse and worse and he's lost his confidence or he's got the yips or something like that. I mean, he, the throws he threw late were exactly what you need from him. Um, and so you just got to find a way to get him going uh, in the first quarter. And that goes with what you were saying as well. I mean, the offense was still moving and, you know, the run game was going and you got to get that established. I think early it, it like I said, I, to me, I, it, there wasn't much of a chance for Michigan state to lose those first two games, um, particularly with Western breaking in a new quarterback. Um, and particularly after DJ irons got knocked out of that game against Akron. I, uh, I think that, you know, you had to kind of, I think what, Thorne did was work on some of the things that he knew he needed to work on or try to. And those other things, the thought will be, they will be there still uh, from last year. Yeah. My, my, my opinion is that I think Thorne's basically just so far the, the same quarterback he was a year ago. It's just that people raised expectations for him, maybe uh, perhaps a little too far than they should have, which is something I think we do here in the state of Michigan and based on uh, that other school, uh, down the road, where after one game, I, there was a, I saw a video of both Braylon Edwards or whatever talking about is JJ McCarthy going to be like the best quarterback in Michigan history? It's just like, what are we doing here? This is, I mean, both all fan bases are uh, very capable and do this stuff often, but I was just like, what are we doing here? You know, the Taylor Twelve <laughs> uh, viral video. What are we doing here? It's a little ridiculous. So I, I guess when I said I don't think there will be QB controversy the rest of the year, I think. I think the word's going to be fine. I think Michigan State's going to be just fine and and whatnot. Uh, Graham, I want to go back to something uh, you said uh, right at the beginning of this conversation where you talked about you know targeting Keon Coleman. Uh, for the second straight week, uh, Coleman was the leader in targets with eight. So obviously that is you know something either they're trying you know to make it an important part of the offense or maybe as Chris said you know it's it's bullpen warmups to try to you know integrate him into the offense and be a nice little compliment there for for Jalen or Jane Reed. Well, I also think yeah, I mean he's potentially a big time playmaker. I mean, yeah. you just look at his, what he is physically. And, and so I think that they're trying to utilize him and create a connection there. And, and, and he, you know, he, when, if you're a coordinator or anybody and you look at the matchup, you know, you're going to see a favorable matchup with him more times than not, especially when Reed's out there because Reed is going to be the one that, you know, gets the, the, the top corner of the lion's share of attention. I mean, Coleman ought to have, certain advantages. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, I, I, one of the things that Peyton Thorne mentioned was that, that post route where he, you know, Coleman was nowhere near open. In fact, the other guy was out in front of him and he threw it anyway. I think there's this belief because I, I do think in practice, Coleman's been impressive 
And so I think there's this sort of throw it out there, let them make a play mentality a little bit. And you got to be careful with that. Um, it's not that you don't want to let him make plays, but you're, you're going into a, a part of your schedule now where mistakes, you know, it's the old line about more football games are lost than one. And as you can say, there's a lot of playmakers and a lot of toys to play with and a lot of different ideas to bring to the forefront. But ultimately, you know, if you get too cute, um, you know, you're going to play teams where you could lose. I think, you know, with the Coleman thing as well, there was kind of a little sneaky development that's been off the radar. I mean, people forget that Montori Foster was the starter at the end of last season and he missed the first game, came back a little last week against Akron and got some work. Um, I think that's kind of big because, you know, he gives you a different kind of receiver um, that can give you some of those underneath things and, and you know, kind of, you know, he, he was the guy that filled in for Jalen Naylor last year. It wasn't Coleman. So, I think people have just kind of forgotten him and, and you know, maybe maybe opposing defenses as well. I did not go back and watch uh, all of Thorne's throws all that closer, but I did see a couple people mention on Twitter that he was thrown off his back foot maybe a little too much. I don't know. Is that something you guys noticed uh, when he was under pressure perhaps or even not under pressure, or is that just something we sometimes try to talk about on Twitter to sound smart? I mean, he, he was under pressure. I think there's some of it. Some of that's legit. I mean, both of those interceptions with guys hitting him and, and taking big shots. So, um, you know, is he, you know, is it Kirk Cousins' sophomore year, junior year, where he was throwing off his back foot all the time? Probably not that bad. But, you know, again, like, to me, like, I, I, I can't stress it enough that, you know, when you see the new receiver getting more targets, than the established guy and really more snaps than the established guy in Mosley um, and, and Reed that, that kind of tells me th- that they were trying, as Graham said, to, to get that chemistry working. So when they get into the teeth of the schedule, it's there and, and he can be, you know, maybe people are putting a little too much expectations on what Keon Coleman can and should be in this offense, because honestly he should be the number three receiver. That, that's ultimately what it is because you've got two guys who are proven in Reed and Mosley um, and maybe even the number four if, if Foster comes back healthy and can do some things but and, and emerge as a guy who can end up being a number two or number one by the end of the year. Yeah, or maybe Michigan State should just quit with the short to intermediate stuff and just run four verts uh, every play every game and see <laughs> see how that works. No, there, there, there's, some That's right. there's some footwork issues, though, and, and he, you know, it was evident in the bowl game, and he was talked about it, and, and, and you know, there's there are times where um, he's not under extreme pressure, but he, you know, he, he throws, doesn't step in, um, and and so that's something he's got to be cognitive of, and um, or cognizant of, whatever the word is. You got you got the second time. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> words are what I do so you know um that's okay have you ever ever listened to me talk on here I stumble over my words every five seconds so I actually yeah no I have subtitles for your part of this so I can (laughs) actually know what's being said all right well uh let's move on to Wisconsin for Wisconsin see this is what this is what I'm talking about (laughs) Wisconsin it it came across the subtitle said Washington I knew what you meant Exactly. Let's talk about Washington for a little bit. Uh, Graham, you had a, you talked about this quite a bit in your column. Uh, a, lot, a lot of Miami vibes this week, <laughs> although Mel Tucker tried to downplay them quite a bit, but also I don't know why because there definitely is Miami vibes, especially with the, the way he's talking about this sleep banking and trying to get the bodies ready for this very difficult uh, West Coast trip 
very difficult in quotations on my end uh west coast trip but uh I mean, what are what are we thinking about this thing, uh, this game? Do is there concern? Isn't the right word, but uh, what's up with the? Do we think they're overthinking this a little bit with this, or or what? Well, no. I mean, I I mean, I think you try and get everything you can out of the sleep science. Do I think it's all always necessary? Uh, no, but I mean, I think teams with better players usually win, regardless. But if you don't know if you have better players and you don't know the difference is all that much. You try to create every edge and every everything you can. And if you have the resources to do it, you might as well. I mean, I, I covered junior college hoops for, for a little while. And, you know, teams would ride a bus three hours, put their McDonald's bags down, get their 20 minutes for tip-off sometimes, take the court and play just, just, just as well. And they were used to it. And, um, you know, but you're better off getting there the night before having a good meal four hours before being rested. You know I mean, in, in right. theory, you know, those things matter. Um, but I do think there are I, I, the, the opportunity just, you know, the conditions will be different. It's going to be 30 degrees cooler and all that stuff. It's not the same thing. But it is a game where, where last year it was like, huh, th- this team has a little something to them. And, and there's some stuff under Mel Tucker's program that may be working in terms of preparation and, and, and performance and, and the way they finish that game. And, so it, it, it sort of set the tone and, and was a defining uh, characteristic in certain ways. And so I, I do think this has a chance to have some of those sort of things as well. If they go in there, they play well, they win, um, it'll set a tone and it'll create swagger. I mean, Cal Halliday said it gave them confidence. I think it changed the way they thought about themselves. And, you know, one of the things that is true that Mel Tucker said and players every team is new you got to re- you got to do it all over and especially when you know so much of your your roster and the, the key guys are, are new too that what, what defines you that the defining traits you know have to be proven all over again well i think one thing that i would say completely differs to me in, in these two games is 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 the quarterback that they're going to face I, I think that michael Penix is a better quarterback than De'Ara king and has shown it at the power five level where King was playing for a, a, a Houston team and, and doing some things, you know, in, in the American conference that maybe didn't translate to power five football and Michigan state defense really kind of put it to them. And so that's, I think one thing that, that does need to happen in this game, similar to the Miami game, they have to get after the quarterback. I mean, they've done a good job of it this, so far this season, but, but again, you're talking about a first year starter um, and a backup that they've faced really for the, the bulk of this, these, these first eight quarters of football. And Michael Penix has worked with uh, Kalen DeBoer when they were at Indiana. DeBoer now is the head coach at Washington. So they've got a relationship. They've got a rapport. And more importantly, the, the head coach who's an offensive guy knows how to put him in position to succeed. So if Michigan State's defense can get after Penix, which they struggled to do when they faced them with the Hoosiers. But if they can do that and make his life miserable, then I think you can see a similar outcome. But, but that's going to be a little bit of a challenge, I think. I think that's, that's a big difference to me. It doesn't matter how much sleep you get or don't get. Um, you know, you, you got to be able to, to pressure that quarterback who's the key playmaker for them. Yeah, and, and I think DeBoer is a better coach than – um you know, they faced in Miami last year. And, you know, what the board did so well in, in 
that 2019 game. And, you know, 2019 Michigan State, people talk about how that fell apart. But when they played Indiana, that was before the Ohio State game. Like, you know, hope was high and life worth living. I mean, they 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 um, they thought they had something. And they were – I thought – I think they were a really good defense at that time. And what, what happened was the way that they designed the – I mean, it, some of, it's obviously within the framework of the offense. But they almost baited the brush in. It was almost – I don't want to say it was like screen passes all the way, but they had a counter for everything that Michigan State did. And it the, the the defense was frustrated. It was like they were thought they were getting there, and then boom. And so you know, obviously, you got different coordinators, different Michigan State defense, different playmakers everywhere. But I, you know, I that that was that was interesting, and, and so that's a challenge as a, as a pass rush and as a defense um, when you're facing a savvy coach who you know um, has had some experience creating some really successful counters that worked for his quarterback. You know, what's interesting about DeBoer, too, is that he's kind of equipped for for teaching the game the way it is right now. I mean, I've known the guy for about 20 years back in my days in Sioux Falls when he had just got done as a All-American wide receiver at the University of Sioux Falls. Everybody take a drink. Arena. Well, no, I didn't say anything about Western Michigan. <laughs> yeah, you, you I thought Falls had the same, same policy. It does. It it does. I don't say it as much, but it's also not nearly as relevant until we start talking about Brad Salem and Caleb DeBoer. Uh, but I mean, he, he worked in the arena league. So he, it, you know, kind of cut his teeth there, which, you know, you got to get the ball out quick and it's a pass based league. Um, then he went and took over his, his alma mater, uh, which was a highly successful NAIA program and led them to national titles as both a player and a coach, which is, pretty amazing and then you know help them kind of get into that they they left NAIA for division two and then he started his his real coaching journey after that um and and kind of bounced around a lot of the the lower level division ones and quickly rose up um you know worked at Fresno State then he went to that Indiana staff and really I think he he what he did was give Tom Allen or Tom Allen something that they didn't really have in an offense there. Um, you know, they had great defenses for Allen, but their offense struggled until DeBoer got there, really got them rolling, and then took off and got the head coaching job at Fresno, and then, you know, now lands the job at Washington. And what's he do? First thing is he goes to the portal and brings in the quarterback he's familiar with, who's a veteran, has a lot of Power 5 experience. So that's, it is, that's a savvy coach, but he also understands the landscape a lot like Mel Tucker. You know, this is what you got to do to be successful. You got to bring in the players that you know and need and, and can, that can help you right away to, if you want to make an impact now, instead of three, four years down the line. And uh, Graham alluded to this earlier, but Michael Penix does have at least one game on tape uh, of him lighting up the Michigan state defense. So we'll see if we get a repeat performance of that uh, this year or yeah, on Saturday or really do you think too? Okay. I, I, seem, I mean, I mean, it's been a while. I seem to remember the second one wasn't as, good as the first one but I mean yeah it wasn't it, you're you're right 2020 you know wasn't I mean right. Indiana was just a better team than Michigan State that year and, and it's amazing how those that program isn't what they were but that that was a 24 nothing game where Michigan State wasn't Indiana was just in this moment in their football program where they were in a different class than Michigan State and um and Penix was part of that but not so much the the decider if that right. makes sense right you know, he's had an injury history at Indiana and was in and out of the lineup there. I think he missed last year. He was, 
you know, on the sideline for the, the game against Michigan State because he was hurt. And, you know, they were able to knock out DJ Irons last week um, and, and get to the backup. So, and they did that. They, they, he didn't get knocked out, but they knocked around Derek King and really changed the tone of that game at Miami. So I think if they're able to, to get the panic, that's the way you disrupt it all. I can't stress it enough that, you know, you get to, to that guy and don't allow him to beat you, then you've got your best chance at success. Whatever else we got to say about Michigan State and Washington, we kind of we can kind of weave into listener questions uh, from here on out. And uh, I'm going to start with Chuck Nichols, who asks, "How surprised are you at MSU leading the nation in sacks through two games?" Chris, I'd say a little bit because obviously you lose your top three defensive ends. That's that's a big deal. I mean, you know, you've got a couple D linemen that are out as well, and that's a, that's kind of a big deal. But I think what you've seen with that first the emphasis on it that's something that mel tucker wanted to happen and when he made that move to to change from ron burton to bring in marco coleman and a dedicated pass rush specialist in brandon jordan and they wanted to get to the quarterback more it didn't necessarily you know that when you, you had you know what it tied for i think seventh in the country in last year in sacks and there's, there were good pass rush talent but you lost most of that with panashuk and and, uh, you know, Beasley and, and Drew Jordan, are those are the top three defensive ends. And now you bring in two transfers in Winman and Bogle, who, again, they're, they've played competition that's much better than the two teams that they've played. How are they going to do against bigger power five tackles coming off the edge? Winman, to me, I think his quickness and the moves that he's had and shown um, really he's he's an elite pass rusher and i think he's been noted nationally for that um a couple times already this year and you know potentially more but um you know that again there the, the minute that Akron game ended they're not going to face a defense that bad the rest of the or an offense that bad the rest of the season offensive line uh so it, those guys have to continue that pressure the guys in the middle you know, with, with Slade and Barrow need to collapse the pocket like they have been. And, you know, Slade was dinged up a little last week. Uh, Maverick Hansen was dinged up. And both those guys came back. Uh, so they need, they need to kind of have a healthy push in the middle to keep those guys on the edge getting to the quarterback. Yeah, uh, Winman is awesome. I That's not very deep analysis, but uh, that dude's been amazing. I think the unofficial trade uh, between UNLV and Michigan State for Jacoby Winman and Rookie Wright has uh, worked out for both parties. All right, I uh, got three questions here from Andrew Gothier, Gothier if you're fancy. Uh, first question, can we expect to see MSU use its tight end substantially more this week? Seems like a clear area of strength that they've just scratched the surface on. Graham? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would expect that when there's a need for those guys, you, you'll see it more, although I would expect it even – I mean, you saw a little more in the, the, the Western Michigan game, and, um, you know, it, it – it seems like that's a real strength that, that they ought to. Now you got to take what's there, um, but and, and and I don't know which one of them creates you know your the most opportunities or gets the most opportunities. But I, I just think that's an area where um, MSU is going to have a, a, a distinct advantage most weeks, and it's got better tight ends than most teams. And um, now I don't think that you know it's not a you know I mean. Malik Carr is probably the best long-term NFL prospect, and he's still a guy who's developing. Daniel Barker is a guy who looks the part and certainly has made the best-looking catches to this point. Um, 
And then, uh, you know, Tyler Hunt just developed into a really good player. But, I, you know, it, it's it's I, I to me, those guys should be used a ton. Um, but it's also on Thorne to, to do so. Like, I, you know, those guys don't, don't seem to be the check down all that often. They seem to be used in certain plays. And I'm a little surprised by that. Like, to me, those guys are really good weapons um, to have not only plays for, but as your check down. And, and we haven't seen that yet a lot. I think you say some of that is based on the play calling and the opponents that they had. They didn't really necessarily need to. They were able to run the ball, so you didn't need the tight ends to really soften up the middle because you were able to get it done in the run game. Yeah, I will note that uh, between the three of them, they only combined for uh, three total targets last week, two for Hunt and one for Carr and and none for Barker. And uh, we'll see if they get integrated more into the offense as the uh, season goes along. I I seem to remember Connor Hayward being a much bigger part of the offense at the beginning of their uh, last year than – and we've seen so far, but uh, well, they also started with a conference game last year too. I think that's something to keep in mind as well. I mean, you have to start when you're on the road playing a Big Ten team. You have to start with your full quiver. Whereas when you've got two opponents that are inferior, I don't like usually saying that, but I think that's probably the best way to describe it. Those were inferior opponents. Um, you don't necessarily have to use everything at your, that you have in your arsenal. You can kind of meet it out as you need to. And I think you saw more targets in the Western game than the, in the, the Akron game. But part of that is I think Western's defense was better too. I think of the three teams or of the teams that, that those two, that Michigan State and Washington played, Western probably has the best defense of all of them. Assuming opponents will be paying way more attention to Windman going forward, can we expect to see other DE's rushers start to rack up sacks or will this stymie the pass rush? Chris. Well, I think you already started to see that in the Akron game with that Cal Halliday sack. I mean, they were so concerned about what Windman was doing on the other side um, that, you know, an under Tuffler didn't even pay attention to the free blitzer coming from his, his front side, not even his backside. I mean, Halliday had a, a clear run. No one picked him up. And quarterback was tunnel vision looking towards the other direction because he knew that that's where the pressure had been coming from. So I think you've already seen that. You've seen some of those things as well with Vogel getting some of the things that he, some of the plays that he's made uh, coming after Winman has come off the edge and flushed the guy. So, yeah, I, I still think they're going to, the attention is going to be on women, but there's, there's opportunities there for the guys like Halliday and Vance Summerin and, and Bogle and the other defensive ends to make some plays. While MSU has run the ball effectively, they don't appear to have been dominant on the O-line versus lesser competition. Is this a concern going forward, or can we expect similar play against Big Ten foes? Graham? You're talking about the offensive line, Michigan State, has not been dominant, is what yes. they're saying? No. Yeah, no, I, well, I mean, they've run, you know, the, the two main backs have averaged a combined 6.2 yards a carry at this point. So um, I, I think the backs look for real. Like, it's very clear at this point to me that Berger and Broussard are, are two guys who can get it done. It's a, a really nice tandem. And I think that'll carry over regardless of competition. What happens when the competition gets better is the question is, are there creases and holes for them? And does your offensive line do uh, a whole lot? And, and, and you know, I, I like the potential of parts of that line when they're healthy. I like the the three guys in the middle there. And uh, there's some things that, that they've done well and they've looked pretty good at times in the last two weeks. And, and you know, Washington is a team that um, that was not great against the run last year. Had some, some tackling issues a little bit against Kent State. Uh, so, but I, it, it's definitely a step up. So 
I think we learn a little bit there. Are those creases still there? I, you know, I think it has a chance to be an okay running game, but we, we just don't know yet. There were no red flags in the first, you know, two weeks that said it was a problem. Not like in 2017, they played Bowling Green up off the top and they can't run the ball. And it's like, okay, that's an issue. That's Bowling Green. You can't run the ball. Um, and so the, the, those are all, you know, that stuff that, that still has to be, um, has to be proven in these, the, the, these next, these next few weeks. And, uh, but I, I don't see anything yet that makes you go, it, it, it can't, it can't happen. I will say the one thing I did like was they were able to, to grind a team down like they were supposed to. They were, I mean, you saw the wear and tear in the third and fourth quarters on both Akron and Western Michigan with what the front did. And that's something that bodes well, but you got to be able to get that up front and consistently against the power five opponents, that's going to be pushing back on you just as hard and not wear down. So that's something to keep in mind. Yeah, and, and the other thing, you know, the, the short yardage and, you know, sometimes this stuff happens when you're, I do these quick takes right after a game and you know, you're not a hundred percent sure why something broke down and you go back and look at it. Like, the, the fourth and one was poorly blocked, and that was Tyler Hunt mi- missing a block. And I'm, look, the tight end is part of the offensive line, but that that wasn't the crux. That's not like the interior of the line collapsed. You know what I mean? Like that wasn't. And you know, sometimes it can be a tight end or receiver who screws something up in a in a, in a run fit, and that that's what it was in, in that particular play. So, uh, but there there have been a couple times where they haven't been able to impose their will, and we'll see going forward. Briefly agree with you, Graham, and both. I don't think there's much concern, and, and very excited to see what uh, the two running backs, Berger and Broussard, do this week. Uh, I mean, it seems like that they're filling in for for Kenneth Walker here, and filling and replacing Kenneth Walker just fine here so far. They look like exciting runners who can do multiple, you know, sort of the similar things that Walker did a year ago. I actually looked it up, and they they're actually combined averaging more yards right now than Walker did through two games last year. He averaged, I think, one sixty and a half. They're over about 181 combined, but again, you know, you also take a look at the opponent that he put the bulk of those yards up and how few carries he got against Youngstown State. So, they take that with a grain of salt. Alex Brandon asks: It was concerning to watch Irons rip apart the defense last week. Was MSU doing anything schematically to test out "quote unquote" different defensive calls, players knowing that the game would be won, or did Ak- Akron actually find a hole after one game of film? Well, I think Irons is a very similar kind of player. You know, a, a poor, 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 poor man's uh, Michael Penix in some ways because he was able to to be a kind of a dual threat guy, um, and they obviously took it to him. So, again, like I said, you, you got to get that kind of pressure to to disrupt and maybe dislodge a quarterback from the spot. Uh, I, I, you know, that I'd, I'd be concerned. They were able to move the ball fairly efficiently and and fluidly early in the game uh, through the air, but that's when Michigan State's ability to hit and dislodge the ball came into play. I mean, they, they forced a bunch of fun. I think they, they had, what, four forced fumbles out of, and six four, – they forced six fumbles and recovered four of them. Um, three of those were by, by Jacoby Winman, who is not just a hard hitter. He's got really good and quick hands as well. Um, but, yeah, I, I think there's probably a little bit of concern with that because they, they were able to move a little bit early on, but – you know, those drives also resulted in zero points and, and minimal uh, red zone appearances. So, you know, this is, this is to me, going to be the biggest test right now for, for this Michigan State pass defense because Washington's got receivers. They've got a quarterback who can deliver the ball. They've got a, a coach who knows how to put it in, in the right guy's hands in the right scheme. So I, I think that I would be 
you know, this, this isn't just about the first two weeks. This is still going back to last year. You got to show it against a power five opponent that you can stop the pass and plain and simple. And, and I also think that, you know, there's a little bit of a misnomer when, you know, if, when you're a, a fan of a, a high major that like somehow the players are sort of robots and are just that much better and quicker than a mid-major opponent. They're not going to like, there are pros on mid-major rosters all over the place and really good players who create matchup problems for you. I mean, the team Michigan state played first Western Michigan has had, uh, more highly rated receivers in the last decade plus than Michigan State. They've had more NFL, I don't know, more NFL quarterback, whatever, whatever, but anyway, they've had just many. The max got tons of quarterbacks in the NFL, right? I mean, uh, and, I mean, you go know, way back to Charlie Batch and Roethlisberger and whatever. I mean, it, it's it's Leftwich. I mean, these, it's just, it's there are good players everywhere, and DJ Irons is one of them, and, and um, when he went out, they could do nothing, but he's a guy that can create some trouble, and they have enough there with, with transfers and talent to, uh, I, I think most teams in the country would give up a little here and there uh, to Akron while they were trying to figure it out. What will be interesting is Chris uh, astutely mentioned the um, being a poor man's Michael Penix, and I, I you know, I, I think they're aware, too, that they got to look at a little bit of what they're going to face, and, and, and in terms of sequencing of opponents that was pretty good timing alan perlstein asked on a fundamental level is scotty hazelton's defense a bend but don't break defense no matter who's playing i couldn't help but notice the same soft coverages against western michigan and akron that we had two years ago graham well they're certainly not playing a press sort of deal right and, and i don't know if they just don't think they have the guys to do that um you know i mean and so I think they're playing to their personnel, um, but it, it, it's it's a it's a fair question. I think it is we get deeper into this season and get a better look at what's what. Now, you know, you, you're playing with new, you know, without Xavier Henderson for the first time, so you're you're, you're maybe a little wary in the stuff you're doing early. Maybe you're trying to figure things out, but um, there definitely were some soft coverages early on last week, and um, you know. I don't know if that's inherent to everything he'd love to do. Like the question is if Darquez and Arden, Trey Wayne show up and you see that same sort of stuff, then it's like, Hey man, like these guys, what are we, what are we doing here? Um, but I, you know, I think he's playing to what he thinks is, is, is best for that defense. I don't think it's necessarily even bend and don't break either. Mind you, I think it's keep the plays in front of you as much as possible. if not always. I mean, they don't. Their philosophy is they don't want to get beat deep, plain and simple. You know, you don't want to give up the explosive plays down the field in the pass game uh, with this defense, and you need to have the ability to wrap up over the middle. I mean, that's what got them a lot of times last year is the stuff over the middle, those crossing routes, and you know the the, the times when the linebackers are too shallow and the safety's too deep, and you know those kind of mixes, you know, and and matches that that they were hoping to have with Darius Snow. I think it's going to be an interesting and fascinating case to see maybe even how much snow was going to mean to that defense with what Indiana does because, or excuse me, what Washington does with those guys. I say Indiana because those guys did that. I mean, Penix was able to hit deep after softening up the middle in those games. So uh, through the air. So that's, that's, I think something to, to kind of keep in mind is, is as much as it's, 
you know, we, we talk about the defensive backs. It's the linebackers and coverage too, as well. I think this is a, to me, this is a big game for a guy like Aaron Brule to come in and so and say that he is a, a guy who can go out and cover uh, and, and kind of give them what they thought they were going to have with Darius Snow moving down. All right, my final question is a basketball related question, and it comes from Zach Brooks. He asks. Am I hyperbolic for thinking Jaden Aiken's foot surgery is a disaster for this team? Between the early season schedule and his explosive style of play, a foot seems like serious trouble. Get your drinking game ready for the first Russell Berg reference. Yeah, no, you know, here's the thing, and it does feel like, you know, I mean, MSU's had a number of stress fractures, stress reaction type injuries throughout the years, and some of them have gone poorly the most recently, uh, you know, the, the and, and foot injuries in general with what happened with Joshua Langford and never really recovered. And there's been some guys who probably came back when they shouldn't have and were, were never, never right. Um, and so it, it's always concerning. And, and, and I think if you were to survey the rest of the country, there are probably other programs that feel the same way, similar injuries. Not everything's been a disaster. You know, Miles Bridges had this same sort of thing, a stress reaction in the foot as his sophomore they called it an ankle sprain at the time, but it was a stress reaction. And I don't think his you know, agent or people or whatever wanted it. I guess he didn't have an agent yet, but you know what I mean? They, they, Pre-NBA, they didn't really want that out there. And, and, um, and he was fine within you know four weeks or so. So I, I do think that, I mean, the timeline, if everything goes perfectly, isn't that bad bad it's like four weeks and then you're you know still three four weeks for the season and in theory you're okay but also november is a pretty unforgiving schedule and for a guy that they touted i mean they have not been shy about their hopes for what jay nakins will be this season um that's that's a difficult injury better timing now than december but um you know we'll see if it if it, if it derails his year well, I, what Graham said, I mean, obviously the two that come to mind are Joshua Langford and Russell Bird, the aforementioned Russell Bird. Um, they've had, they had basically their careers altered. So that's in Michigan State fans' mind. But, I mean, these kind of injuries happen across the country all the time. Um, some guys come back from them. It's a lot about your, your body makeup and how you handle it and how you, how you physically can handle it. And I guess we won't really know until Aikens gets back on the court and you kind of see where he's at. Um, you know, a couple of weeks, obviously the surgery, when, anytime you hear surgery, you, you should be a little bit concerned. I think that's just the nature of, of an injury like that. When you hear it, it's not just rest and recovery. It's that we need to have a medical procedure. Uh, but they're also confident that he'll be back in four weeks and return to full health. They were adamant about that. So the, the, the staff believes that this isn't anything like those other injuries. And I think you have to kind of take that on a case by case basis. And, you know, again, once you see, you know, early November when they get into those exhibition games, see where he's at. I mean, he had a full summer, which I think is important. We saw him out at Moneyball. He was doing things there. Um, so this is obviously something that was not enough of a factor to keep him off the court all summer. So he had that summer development, which is, I think, a, a critical thing. And, you know, Mateen Cleves had an injury similar to it, and they won a national championship that year, came back and had a heck of a Big Ten season. So, um you know, I mean, not every one of these has been disaster. I mean, I, I think there's a little, you know, PTSD from the recent ones, and and Langford was certainly one that was, um, you know, just continually bad news. I, I mean, I feel like I'm 
I can remember every like Izzo press conference that began with him walking in glumly about the latest update about Joshua Langford. And um, so that there is that sort of, and, and I, and I think that, you know, it happens with everything. It, it happens with Brian Lewerke's development. So now Peyton Thorne isn't going to get any better. It, it happens uh, with, with anything where it happened, you know, Mark D'Antonio lost steam. So that's what's happening to Tom Izzo. You know, like there is sort of a reaction because you've seen it in something you care about recently. And, um, but one does not necessarily make the other. Well, it actually goes with something that Mel Tucker said this week. And when pro comes out, pro scouts come in and look at guys, they ask them, who do you compare them to? I mean, that, you know, you compare situations, you compare talent level, skill level, performance production, all those things. I mean, that's just the nature of sports. I think, I don't think it's, you know, right or wrong fans, obviously that's what they know, you know, that they, they know those injury histories of Langford and, and, and Russell bird, because, you know, those were guys that had high expectations and, you know, it derailed it. So, you know, it, it, I think that's just human nature. But, you know, you also have to take it from, a, you know, every test case is individual and different, just like, you know, no one knew what Kenneth Walker would be until Kenneth Walker was. So can't take that however you want to take it. All right. Well, let's move on to predictions for uh, Saturday's game. Uh, Graham, I'm going to start with you. Strangely, I've gone back and forth here um, and I've, I've landed on Michigan State, and I mean I can picture this going poorly because I can picture the best of Michael Penix, right? And I, 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 I do think like, I mean I like what Michigan State's done in the running game. I think Peyton Thorne will play well. I, I, there are two things that I think this comes down to. One, if Jaden Reed doesn't play, this prediction doesn't count. If for some reason he doesn't play, and we have no information that he won't. It's just that, you know, Mel Tucker basically said he was sore and he'll be ready when he's ready and. That's the same injury when a guy has knee surgeries as when a when a guy has a cut on his back. So like, it's <laughs> you just don't you just don't know for sure uh, because I do think lo- the trickle down from losing him and 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 where Thorn is and the, the comfortability with him I think would be could be problematic. The other thing is, am I wrong? Am I wrong that the line flipped pretty pretty quickly and and violently the other way um, from MSU to? To Washington, I had heard that, but yeah. I also know that Vegas Insider had some issues with seeds before. So, well, no, I mean, like Circa had it minus three for MSU, right? And basically went three the other way, three and a half the other way. But Circa puts its lines way out there. I mean, it, it, it's sort of taking a risk. It doesn't like the way odds makers work when they do their lines. Usually, they're all pretty much in unison. Circa wants to be first, and so they're a little. So it's it's not always yes you could bet circa if you're right and ready to go but most lines you could bet never were ever minus three for MSU like most sports books never offered that line um, and so but that said like I the other thing is if they don't get to Penix if he's able to pick them apart this is this is a really difficult game um, my my sense is they'll be able to get to him a little bit I think Washington's offensive line is. A, is, is not is, is proven. I think um, I think MSU's got more playmakers, and um, I don't know. I, I just for whatever reason my gut is gone there, and I, I have it at thirty-one twenty-four MSU. That's interesting. I, I mean, I, I, I'm looking at the over/under, and it looks like the that's set right around fifty-six and a half right now. Um, I, I'd play the over on this because I think there's going to be a lot of offense. Like I see this, you know, I, I see both of these teams if Penix 
uh, is in the game. If, if Reed is healthy, I think both of these teams can put up some points on each other. Um, I, 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 I still think that, you know, even though Michigan state says last year doesn't matter, it's a new season, a new journey. It does matter because you've, you've proven to the veteran guys that were on that field in Miami and in the peach bowl and any other number of games that they were able to go and, and win a game that, that sometimes, you know, you were down and they, even the Michigan game, you know, games that you thought that, you know, could go the other way or were a coin flip, they were able to pull out for the most part. So, you know, I, I think, you know, in looking at this, I, I'd say I'd probably put it at like maybe a 33 to 28 or 33 to 30 kind of game for Michigan State, kind of winning in a little bit of a shootout. I'm with you guys. I like Michigan State to win. Not only do I like Michigan State to win, I like them to cover also, as you guys have, have done as well. And they're like, I think it's my best bet of the entire college football slate. I'm willing to go that far. I think I'm kind of in on what, um, even with the snow and Henderson injuries, I kind of think I'm in with what I'm seeing with uh, Michigan State so this season. I just, I think there's a chance they go in there win by double digits. I'm just willing to just throwing that wow. out there. Just throwing that out there. I mean that is that is a hot take right I know. there. Especially especially coming from me who is who is always pessimistic uh, most of the time. <laughs> wow, I'm impressed. Thank you. All right, any final thoughts before we sign off here? Uh, it's 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 just as fun to have a game like this where. You know, I mean, you wait for a long time for the football season to begin, but then it's there's like a second season that comes when the games are actually like win or lose is in the up in the air to be decided, right? And and that's I think a, a fun part of it where people's anxiety goes up. It, real football season has started, so to speak. Now it has for certain other programs already, but for MSU it'll start now, and 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 for Michigan, I think sometime in November they play somebody, so. Their their schedule will start at, at, at some point too. So I'll Michigan take State for November. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. I, my only final thoughts is I got to hurry up and go get some compression socks and download some new podcasts so I only sleep a half hour on the flight. <laughs> and on that note, thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com and on Twitter, at Chris Solari, at Graham underscore Couch, at Phil underscore Friend, and LSJ Greenwhite. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of... Uh human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.